Hey everyone, it's Hater Radio. My name is Chris McLean. I'm here with Ian Gibson. Ian, how are you? Doing good, man. So we're here again for another uh, recap show. It's Sunday. Um, we're recording this before the eight o'clock Eastern, five Pacific time, just because I have some stuff to do. And Ian was able to join me, so I was like, "Of course, I'm going to do it earlier if I can get Ian to get on." Because I know our show is better with both of us on together. So, um, you know, here we are. So we're doing it early, but you'll still see it on live uh, when you see this, uh, the first airing, and then it'll be hosted on YouTube uh, after that. So um, let's get into it. It's week eight, a lot of big games, some top 10 matchups that we had. Uh, but the first game I'm going to talk about is the um, – USC uh, Utah game, and the reason I want to talk about it is because of how that game ended and how um, now it's pretty much the end of the CFP hopes for USC. I mean, it's you know I I feel so bad because it's like you know I had high hopes for this team. The schedule was very daunting. Like I knew that coming into this year for this USC team to really like uh, challenge for that playoff spot. They were going to have to really overcome a lot of tough teams, which, you know, Utah, Oregon, Washington, uh, you know, they lost last week against Notre Dame as well. So it was just, it was just too many games that they were going to have to put up a big fight in and, and uh, they, they got bit and they get bit twice now. And now it's, now it's tough because honestly, really, the only thing they have to play for is, you know, potentially Caleb Williams still could get into the Heisman running. You know, I know there was two bad games, but he still has a shot of getting back into it because uh, there's still plenty of games that he can perform well in. And then also uh, they have a slim chance at the Pac-12 championship. I know now losing to Utah is not a good step in that direction because now Utah has a game in hand on them and then they still have to play Oregon and they have to play Washington. So there's going to be two tough games that they have to win and UCLA as well at the end of the game yep. end of the year. So uh, I don't know. It sucks because it was like, you know, they had that game. The defense was making plays at the end of the game to one force the punt that Zachariah branch returned for, a uh, big gain, and then you know Caleb then scored, and then the defense was making plays to get off the field, and then it was Bear Alexander makes those stupid mistakes and gets those penalties, and just man, it just you can't keep lives uh, uh, drives alive for teams because they're gonna make you punish it. They're they're gonna punish you for it, and it's they did. You know Barnes for Utah was making enough plays uh, to keep them alive, and especially that big play at the end when I, it looked like USC was going to be able to like maybe make a stop there. And then he just makes that huge run, puts them in field goal position and Utah's kicker makes a kick. But Ian, what'd you see in this game? So this game in, this was just getting burned by the hand that, you know, you keep pressing on the oven because we have seen USC both last year and especially this year, they have been a second half team and there are times where they play behind. That is okay against certain teams. For example, you know, they didn't play, uh, had to kind of come back and, you know, 
bit behind the eight ball against Arizona State. They let Colorado, you know, make it a one-score game. They skid by Arizona. Then they get walloped by Notre Dame. And in what was an absolute wake-up call, you had to play a full four, four quarters. And SC maybe played two. While yeah. Utah just kept getting it out of reach. Now, USC was doing a good job towards that game. Staying in it and you know keeping away, but they just couldn't you know get off the field. Like Utah just kept scoring and scoring. Whenever you know, I, I remember just thinking like you know whenever USC would kick a field goal, Utah would score a touchdown, um, and they would just make it where they were just out of reach. Now then, Caleb Williams scores a touchdown, um, and then you got to remember they don't get the two point conversion, so possibility of overtime after that. Um, but that was the thing is that USC was just playing behind the whole game. I fully believe if USC had the lead, not, you know, until the last seconds of the fourth quarter, um, I would have, uh, they probably would have won it. But instead it was, the uh, script was flipped. I totally believe they slept on this Utah team as much as Utah was ranked higher than them. But it was because we discussed the same things the week before. The offense wasn't very effective. So they thought if the, Offensive USC does well. The defense can, you know, kind of take it easy. But they, man, were they wrong. And it was a real, like, kind of exposure to SC right now. They seriously have to look in. Because um, this season for the CFP, it's it's a lost cause now. But moving forward, they have to make the adjustments so where you can play a full, full quarters against these teams because Utah was going to play them hard. And we knew that going in USC knew that going in and it was a big letdown again. Well, I mean, you know, these two teams, they played the last two weeks, Notre Dame and Utah are arguably some of the better defenses that they'll play all year. And, you know, so naturally um, they're, uh, uh, their uh, ability uh, to stop them or uh, their, their ability to like move on them and move the ball on them effectively and score on them. It was going to be limited because, you know, they're both really good defenses. And then it's also in that Notre Dame game, there was a lot of turnovers. So, you know, they pretty much shot themselves in the foot. The defense didn't even play that bad of a game. Uh, USC's defense in the Notre Dame game. They just had so many short fields that, Notre Dame took advantage of it. So, um, but in this game, definitely that the fact that Utah has Barnes as their, I think it's their third backup, their third stringer uh, as their starter now. And he's been basically there all year, but you know, it was, it was a struggle, but you know, what really was terrible was the, um, uh, the fact that they couldn't stop uh, Sion Vaki. Like, mm -hmm. Vaki had, like, nearly 200 yards total between rushing and receiving, and just – he was all over the place. I mean, he was wide open. He was uh, making plays, just making their defense look dumb. And it's also, you know, I don't know. I Coming into this year, it's really a, a good juxtaposition between how – you should treat your approach to hiring and firing people because UCLA fired their defensive coordinator and Lynn came in and is doing much better. And then USC did not fire Grinch. You know, um, 
Lincoln Riley kept Grinch the whole time, decided to roll the dice with him. And I think that's really bit bit them in the butt here. And so, you know, it's going to be a problem going forward because their defense is not strong. And I saw somewhere, I think it was even uh, Matt Leinart said, you know, there's a chance that this team could go seven and five. And it's not that far of an unrealistic possibility to say the least. Okay, let's move on to uh, the USF game. USF, UConn, um, you know, USF, we were talking about this before we got on air, uh, that USF really struggled in this game and really was behind the eight ball because they were down 21-10 in the fourth quarter and it looked like it was game over. And I was like, I was nervous. I was like, oh, come on, man. We cannot we cannot lose to UConn. Like, UConn is one of the worst teams in all of FBS. And, you know, I know it's a road games and it's cold. But, uh, you know, credit to the offense to make enough plays. Naquan Wright balled out. Uh, 26 carries, 186 yards, two TDs. Just a phenomenal game for him. Two huge running plays that set up scores, and especially uh, that last one at the end to uh, take them into the lead. And then that huge fumble that um, yeah. uh, Robertson had, man, that was – I mean, I don't know if UConn does score there, but all they really needed uh, was a field goal to tie, and Roberson fumbles it on that huge play where he – I think he had gotten the first down and they were moving the ball, and it was like – Man, I was like, oh, God, something happened. And he fumbles and they get it. They're able to run off most of the clock. And then UConn had the ball with very few seconds left at the end and didn't do anything with it. So it was, you know, it was a good uh, good overall win. Puts them at four and four for the year. And now they have a chance to get bowl eligible with two manageable games at the end of the year with Temple at home and Charlotte at home with both, both of those teams are not – uh, the strongest of teams, so they should be able to win uh, both of those games. And then they'll have really tough games against Memphis and UTSA on the road. Um, Ian, what what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I was right there with you, man. I was thinking the same thing. Um, and it's funny because I was texting my cousin, who was actually at the at UConn. He, you know, braved the unknown land of Connecticut and went up there. Nice. Um, but he... Um, so we were texting the whole game and I'm thinking the same thing. Like as soon as they went down 21 to 10 and that, you know, they were just playing way too like timid the whole first yeah. half and in what going well into the fourth quarter, that third quarter too was a complete like waste. But I was thinking like they're sustaining drives and they're getting turnovers, but they're not yeah. capitalizing in on them. And that was the most yeah. frustrating thing was that it literally looked like South Florida was playing better and looked like, far superior team but the execution was not there and they finally got it going in the fourth quarter but i was right there with you i was like there is no way we should be losing to yukon right now or about to lose to yukon um with that being said less than 10 minutes this usf team has shown twice now now this is the third time of not counting them out coming in the fourth quarter it is really impressive again just seeing it night and day um between last year and this year like last year i seriously doubt usf would have been able to get a touchdown with that last 10 minutes but they with the way the offense was running 
And then with that momentum going in, once they scored that first touchdown, you could tell the momentum was on USF's side. Then they get that big turnover. They capitalize on it. And then USF, you know, just runs away with it. Um, with that being said, I this was by far not a pretty game, and it was definitely not a good game. There are certainly a lot of areas USF needs to look at, especially in the short passing game. There were so many passes that were just either dropped, not, you know, thrown in, you know, tight coverage and just wasn't the right read. Um, and that was uh, was Byron Brown. I know he, I think he had over 60 yards rushing, but there are times I think with this, the way this offense should be constructed, it should be built around his strength. So if you're Byron Brown, you should be seeing, okay, if he's covered, run with it. At least get something. That was the other thing too, is that the offense, there were times where they would just, you know, throw it away, take a sack when you could have maybe gotten three, four five yards and made it, well, you know, second and five, third and three, make it easier for yourself. It seems yeah. like USF was making it harder than it needed to be. Um, I don't know if they, you know, had something on the Vegas spread, but <laughs> regardless, you know, very impressive win, very gutsy win from USF to go in on the road, cold, rainy, way out of your element, and to be down by two possessions with less than 10 minutes left in the game. And to pull out the win, that was a very impressive win. Now, again, you have to sustain this. You have to, you know, now play a full game, a complete quarter, because now they're at Memphis. We'll talk about this, you know, thinking ahead show-wise. But now you're at Memphis, which is going to be a bit more, you know, a much bigger challenge. Oh, yeah. I mean, Memphis is a way better team. And, like, you know, they're going to – their offense is going to definitely score some points. So the key for that game in the future is, is to be able to put up enough points to stay in that game. Um, because again, the defense has been terrible and like they're, you know, they're just not making good uh, angles on their tackles. And uh, it's just, I don't know. The coverage is terrible. It's just, it's tough to watch on defense. I honestly don't even really want to watch them play on defense because it's so tough to watch. But they did make those turnovers, and really those turnovers were the difference in the game because they um, they were able to thwart a lot of UConn drives. And also, um, I will say, you know, the offense at times has struggled, but you got to remember the wide receivers that they have are not the, like, not the greatest in the world. So, you know, I, yes, Sean Atkins is good. I, I, I really enjoy him. Um, some of these other guys are all right, but there's some of the guys that are out there because they employ usually three or four receivers, almost every, um, uh, every uh, formation. So they, they employ a lot of receivers out there. And some of those guys are just, they just don't have the hands, you know, and it's, it is what it is. You know, hopefully, you know, Golish can recruit better and can get that to a point where, um, you know, they can uh, perform against better teams. But the one thing I will say from this game specifically is in the three years of Jeff Scott, they won four games. In eight games into Alex Golish's tenure, they already have four wins. So, to be able to do what they did in three years in eight games, that is phenomenal. And you can't be, you can't overlook that. I know it's like, you know, there, it seems like we're kind of turning a corner here and we're like wanting more, but it's like, you got to appreciate this fact because that was, you know, the last 
three years and then the two years before that with Charlie Strong. So it's been five years where it's been tough sledding. And, you know, the last time that we've had real hope at the, in this team has been a long time. So it's uh, it's exciting to really see the difference in uh, the play, especially the offense. You know, it's like this is why I, I didn't give up when I was watching the game because I was like, you know what? I know this offense can score really quickly. So even though they're down two scores, I still have uh, a strong belief that they're going to be able to take advantage of it and to uh, um, get themselves in position to score again. Okay, let's move on. Uh, UCLA, Stanford. Uh, UCLA smokes them, but the difference in this game was that uh, UCLA benched uh, Dante Moore and put in uh, Garbers. And Garbers had a solid game. I think this was the right game to put in Garbers because um, there's – uh, no real threat of them losing this game. They're way more talented than the Stanford team. I know Stanford beat Colorado last week and whatever, whatever that garners. But um, yeah. you know, this, this UCLA team is way better than this Stanford team, and they proved it. You know, it wasn't even really in doubt at any point. Uh, Carson Steele had an okay game as far as yardage, but had three TDs on the ground and. Uh, Garbers had a solid game uh, getting the ball to different receivers. Um, no one had more than 54 yards. So it was a lot of uh, moving the ball around because Garbers had 240 through the air. Um, it, yeah, it was never really close. UCLA wins 42 to 7. You want to talk about this before we move on? Yeah, I'll just um, real quick, I'd say the, um, about the Garbers thing because that was definitely the topic of this game. It definitely made it easier because you could tell like UCLA was humming on the run game. So you're right. I don't think it really was that much of a like ripple effect of him coming in. This was the right game to put him in and he did play very well, but it was also because it was complemented by a very strong running game. I believe they had over 220 yards uh, yeah, of total rushing, which is very impressive. Yeah. Um, but again, this was a game that was, should have been a layup and it definitely proved that, um, it was um, just an all-around solid win for the Bruins. Yeah, and it, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. If they want to put Dante back in, he got in later in the game. Um, he is more talented than Garbers in the past game, but Garbers obviously um, is more athletic because he got uh, 51 uh, yards on the ground. So maybe they want to – implement the run game more and i think maybe this is the right move but i do like dante more a lot and i think if not this year and because there's still a lot to play for ucla this year it's not over they only have um i know they have two uh pac-12 losses but if they win out they'd end up being 10 and 2 and they have a slim shot at getting to the pac-12 championship game so there's still a ton to play for and i think that's maybe why um, Chip Kelly made the move when he did, because it's if there is an opportunity to do it now, it's in a, a game where there's not as much expected, much pressure, which there wasn't pressure in this game at all. So he made good plays and because he looked 
he didn't look that great in that Coastal Carolina game in the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. Garber. So I think it just it's it's a way of easing him into the rest of the year. It's probably a good move because Dante has been very um, turnover prone Shaky. the last couple of weeks. Yeah, he had three interceptions last week. So maybe it's just he's a freshman and it's just that's what's happening. And maybe he'll learn into this and figure it out. I think he will. But as of right now, they have a lot to play for. And I think Garbers may give them a better shot at this point going forward. Okay, rest of the schedule of the teams that we don't cover – because uh, Florida is off this week, said so they're bye week. Um, but uh, I'm wearing the shirt because, you know what, it's start of Florida, Georgia, and uh, to hell with Georgia. Okay, so first big game of the day outside of the games we cover was the Penn State-Ohio State game. I mean, this was a bit of a snooze game because it was so low scoring. Um, Penn State's got a really good defense, and Ohio State has a really good defense. So that could – probably tell the story there but i really think what it is is um for penn state alaire their quarterback is just not that good he played great against these bad teams the last several weeks so he looked like he was turning a corner but when he finally goes up against a good defense he was under 50 percent completion percentage and that's not going to cut it if you're going to try to uh win these big time games and he, he only had that one touchdown pass at the end of the game. It was in garbage time. So, like, really, you know, he for the rest of the game, he didn't perform very well. I think McCord did very well. They were didn't score a ton of points, but he still had over 286 yards. And, of course, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. went off. The kid's a stud. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a – He's a top 10, maybe even top five pick coming into the draft. And, you know, I hope he stays healthy going into the playoffs so that he they get a good chance. You know, that obviously we'll have that big game against Michigan, but there's a chance that the loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game still goes on to the playoff, much like last year. It's a pretty good chance. Both of these teams are really good. Um, and they deserve a chance in the playoff. I don't think Michigan is as strong because uh, uh, years past has shown they cannot go up against really good teams outside of Ohio State. Um, but Ohio State has obviously proven they belong. Um, but um, I don't know. Uh, it it really has been status quo because Penn State has yet to prove themselves in these games against Penn, uh, Michigan and Ohio State. I think Ohio State definitely deserves to be in the the uh, conversation of top teams, and uh, Penn State probably does not deserve to be there. But what do you got, Ian? Yeah, in when deciding, I remember we I had trouble trying to pick a winner. But the, the other thing that came into my decision is, in terms of quarterback and offensive play, if you stop one of their strengths, for example, Penn State's rushing attack, will they win? Can they win with just passing it alone? And they can't, and they couldn't. And that's what it came – they had to pass the ball because the running – you know, Ohio State pretty much said, beat us on the air, and they knew they couldn't. I think it was 18 for 40, which I'm bad at math, so I don't know the completion percentage of that. But I definitely know it's not ideal. 18 18 of 42, so it's even worse. Yeah. Um, But on the other hand, like Ohio State, while, you know, in terms of a rushing attack, 
may not have been as effective. Um, when you kind of look at it, I know they neither team ran for over 100 yards, but they still had the wide receiver, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., who had went off. Um, yeah. They relied on him. They also had uh, Kate Stover as well, had a couple yeah, of big Stover, plays. Yep. Yep. Um, and McCord was just able to, you know, you know, put it on the line for most of them. On the other hand, Penn State, just, they're not equipped to win these type of games where you have to pass it to win it. And if they get in his face, they're not going to perform as well. So it was kind of, you know, once you saw the game pl- play out and once Alar threw his, you know, like 28th pass and it was like barely the third quarter, that's when I was like, okay, Ohio State should have this. And once it caught into the, you know, fourth quarter, it, it was all over. Ohio State knows how to win that quarter. Um and they just ran away with it. So it wasn't that surprising once you kind of kind of saw the game play out. Well, I think honestly that the the biggest play of the game was probably that um uh penalty on that was the defensive holding on Marvin Harrison Jr. that uh overturned the scoop and score that yeah. that could have been the difference in the game. If Penn State gets that score, maybe they get some momentum things start going their way, but they, they don't get that. Uh, Ohio state ends up scoring there. So things turned out differently for them. Um, they also got lucky uh, Penn state because Ohio state touched a ball on a punt return that they, they picked up. So they had a chance there in good field position, but really took couldn't take advantage of it. I don't know this team, this Penn state team, has talent. I'm not denying that. Singleton is a very good running back. Um, there's some other pieces there that I like. Defense is strong, but it's just, I don't know. that They've never really had a good quarterback. And like the entire time that James Franklin has been there at Penn State, their quarterbacks have been subpar. And so if you're not going to get great quarterback play in games like this where you have to pass the game, uh, pass the ball, you're more than likely going to lose those games because you can't rely on someone that's going to complete less than 50% of passes. Okay, moving on. Uh, UCF, Oklahoma. What an interesting game. <laughs> I, you know, oh my like, God. You know, UCF, they, they were like doing, it wasn't like they were moving the ball consistently. They were like getting these huge chunk plays off somewhat of like uh like the one play was like that RPO where yeah. um Plumley goes off to the side and the receiver was wide open and it was like an 85 yard touchdown. And so it was like some of those where it was like whatever. Oklahoma was really driving on them a lot, and um well, they were for the most part. There were parts of the game where Oklahoma struggled to move the ball, and it looked like UCF might be able to take advantage of it. But they had the ball a couple times up like six points and couldn't take advantage of it completely. And uh, Oklahoma just kept coming back and finally takes the lead and then takes the eight-point lead. And that was that was honestly the difference because they took that eight-point lead there um, into the – for or into that last drive, you know, UCF does go down and score, but you know, it was too much to try to get a two point conversion. And that's the difference in the game. 
you know, Dylan Gabriel looked pretty good. Um, he had a lot of yards on the ground as well. And, um, you know, it's, I'm not surprised that Oklahoma won. I'm more surprised that Oklahoma struggled to like win by like two or three scores, which I thought going into this game, that's what it was going to be. But UCF put up a fight and, uh, but it's, they're still, what, what are their 0 and 4 in conference play? Now three and four, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it doesn't look like big time, kid. Yeah, and it doesn't look like there's there's many wins on their schedule left. So, you know, they wanted to play big time. They wanted to be in a big Power Five conference. They're getting their wish, and I honestly feel like um, Gus Malzahn is actually recruiting well, but I don't feel like he's going to be there to be able to uh, um, uh, see the fruits of the labor of the recruiting because it feels like he's going to get fired in the next like year or two, not this year, but maybe after next year and more than likely two years later. And I, and I'm not, I, I don't take pleasure in that. I just, I'm being a realist. I never thought that Gus Malzahn was that great of a coach um, you know, it was obvious at Auburn where he had points where they did well, but a lot of the time they struggled in, uh, you know, to be able to beat SEC teams. And so they were having like, you know, seven and six, six and seven years. And, you know, it was not fine at Auburn and he got fired for it. And then you come to a team like UCF, you know, they're going to struggle against these better teams. And it's evident in these games. They're just not good enough to beat these teams. And they're, they have been close. I will not deny that, that a lot of these games have been really close. This game was really close. They should have beat Baylor. Yep. And the Kansas State game was close per se, but Kansas State was obviously a better team than them. And then the Kansas game, they got blown out. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of this team. I just don't think they're good enough to beat these these big 12 teams and they're it's getting shown week in and week out. So, and I would be frustrated as a UCF fan because it is so close. Cause it's like, Oh, we're right there. But I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know if, if this team is going to be better in the next year or two to be able to actually uh, do anything about it. But what do you got in this Ian? Yeah. It, it was very interesting. This whole game was just a roller coaster because Oklahoma just couldn't get out of their own way. It, yeah. That's really what it was. It, it was more of that than UCF. I will give it not not taking it away from UCF. They definitely had probably the game of their season, um, and they went up to the task. But Oklahoma outgained them. I think Oklahoma had over almost 450 yards compared to you know like I think UCF almost had 400, um, yeah. and they were you know better passing and they had a much better you know yards per carry average throughout the game. Um, it's just Oklahoma just couldn't cat, you know, just couldn't cash in when it mattered, and then kept letting UCF get into the game. That was the thing is that the defense really did not get a good job, do a good job of getting off the field. Um, yeah. Once you know there weren't a lot of third downs given to UCF, um, and I know they didn't convert on a lot of them, but UCF didn't really need them. Um, but you were right; they relied on that RPO style of game, and they just tried their best to you know make Oklahoma uncomfortable and kind of you know 
ship the linebackers around, which they did a very good job with, and find their mismatches, which they did. Um, with that, for Oklahoma, they need to learn because they might have given them a blueprint on how to kind of, you know, scalpel this defense. Um, but it showed Oklahoma was willing to win on the offense. But this is another case where, yes, you got the win, but don't feel too good about it because I don't know if any other team, like, say, like, they play this way against, like, when they play Texas, they're not winning that game. Or when, you know, any of the games, when they go to the Big 12 championship, you cannot win games like this. Once again, yeah. you have to play the full four quarters. This might have been another case where they were sweeping on the team, but UCF, you know, played up to them, and Oklahoma got lucky. Okay, all right, moving on. Uh, probably one of your favorite games because this is a team that most people don't know about, or at least, like, a, a lot of information about this team. Air Force, Navy. Yep. I watched the highlights. Air Force wins 17-6. Um, you know, uh, Larrier only passes the ball five times, but he yeah. completed four of them for 151 yards. So that's like that's almost like 30 yards a, a, a completion, which is insane. And uh, it's more than that. I think it's like 35. And he had a TD on one of them as well. They just – they controlled this game, you know, from the get-go. Um and uh, you know it. This Navy team is not terrible as far as like discipline and like defense. It's just they're not good enough to beat one of the better academy teams, which Air Force is clearly the better academy team this year. And they have a shot. Honestly, I would, I would love if they went if they won out. I would love to see them if not in a very good bowl, maybe in a New York six bowl, because it's like, why not? Like, I mean, what does it even matter with these bowl games? Like give air force a chance. Like let's see air force. If they, yeah. Really if they go win. undefeated and win the mountain West, I, I agree. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I'd like to see that. I think everyone would like to see that because it'd be kind of cool. It'd be like, we don't normally get uh, a Academy team actually, um, going up against really good teams. And, you know, I know Army got smoked by LSU, but Army isn't mm -hmm. that good this year, but Air Force is. So maybe, you know, Air Force goes up against one of these good teams and maybe they actually uh, make a game of it. But uh, your thoughts before I move on. Yeah, just real quick. It was definitely um, really uh, entertaining to see air force you know kind of you know use i wouldn't even call it a trick play because it's a pass play but you can tell navy was not ready for it so they literally yeah. maybe had three four times at best to really you know kind of jump on them um and air force you know did it they did it at the best possible time because again they scored that you know 90 plus yard touchdown uh backed up on their own uh end zone yeah. um but all around you know defensively um Air Force, you know, shelled out and did a good job of, you know, playing keep away from Navy. Um, Navy was had to force to rely on the air. And as good as they actually did on the passing game, it's just not their style of play. So Air Force, you know, well controlled the game. I think they almost tripled the amount of yards Navy had. Um, so all in all, the score definitely – I wasn't surprised by that. But, I mean, it, it was – a uh, very kind of predictable outcome for uh, the Falcons. Yeah, they had three, like 288 to their 124. Yeah, so almost triple. Okay, uh, moving on. Washington State, Oregon. Um, 
the score doesn't show how Oregon pretty much took control of this game in the second half. They win 38-24. It was a close game in the first half, but Oregon really just um, – I mean, Oregon is proving that they're definitely one of the better teams in the country by far. Like, it's not even – and I know they lost to Washington last week, but, it you know, it was obviously a close game because they had the field goal attempt at the end to tie. So, you know, it's – Bo Nix is a – very capable uh, quarterback, threw for 293 yards, two TDs. Um, their running attack was solid. Uh, Irving had 129 yards on the ground. Um, you know, Knicks was throwing the ball to different different receivers. You know, they they were ahead enough into the fourth that it was, you know, on cruise control at the end. And you know, they didn't even throw the ball a ton, and they still had nearly 300 yards. They threw it 25 times with 18 completions. And, you know, they had no turnovers. Um, you know, Cam Ward had a good game, but, you know, besides Cam Ward, the rest of the team wasn't that amazing. You know, the, some of the receivers had some decent yardage, but they didn't run the ball very well at all, Washington State and much to do with probably Oregon's defense and uh, and the fact that they were behind in the second half so much. But uh, what are your thoughts, Ian? Yeah, for this one, it came down to, like we talked about in the preview, Oregon had enough weapons, especially on the rushing attack. Um, they had enough wide receivers. Bo Nix played a great game. Um, and then, you know, Bucky Irving had a fantastic game uh, yeah. rushing it. So they had all those weapons, and – all Washington State had was Cam Ward. And as great as Cam Ward is, and he really, God bless him, he yeah, it was literally he, just the entire offense. Um, he I think he threw it for 400 yards, had the touchdown yeah, and all four, that. 450, I believe, something like that. Yeah, some something ridiculous, um, which will bring something about Oregon's defense in a sec. But, yeah, it just, you know, was – the fact that Oregon had more weapons to, you know, deal with in Washington state as good as Cam Ward did play that just, you needed more, you know, for that to beat Oregon. You can't just do it with one guy against this team. With that being said, the one thing I did see now, this game was close and Washington state with mostly on the back of Cam Ward almost had 500 total yards. of They got really close to 500 total yards of offense. And this yeah. is something I've seen with Oregon, and especially against Washington State. Mobile quarterbacks are their Achilles heel. They cannot keep them in the pocket. For whatever reason, Oregon doesn't put a spy at linebacker, or at least as often as they should with these guys. So that is one thing that is very critical for Oregon going forward. Um, they have to adjust the defensive scheme when they know they're playing against these you know, dual-threat quarterbacks. Um, it'll work against teams you know, that were like – you know, they beat Hawaii, they beat Stanford, and they did blow out Colorado um, with Sanders as a mobile quarterback. But it's a matter of, like, just containing them in the pocket. Um, that's why we're thinking way too far ahead here. But when they do play a team like, you know, USC and Caleb Williams or even Arizona State, it's going to come down to, you know, how well can you contain that mobile quarterback? Because they ran all over them uh, with Cam Ward and Michael Penix Jr. as well. So that is one thing I'll say for Oregon's sake. 
offensively fantastic, defensively have to adjust um, when you're facing these dual threat QBs. All right, moving on. Uh, this is a fun one. Tennessee, Alabama. I honestly, coming into halftime when they were up 20 to 7, I could have swore that Tennessee was going to win this game because they were getting down the field, you know, getting scores, and they were really bottling up Milrow. And Milrow was like not able to like, you know, convert third downs and they were struggling. And then I don't know what it was at halftime, but they really turned it on Alabama and they really shut down Joe Milton and Milrow went off. I think they ended up scoring like, I think 27 points. I think it was 27. Yeah. Yeah. So like 27 points in one half and then, you know, Tennessee didn't score any and they were clearly the better team in the second half. And it wasn't even close. Like, I mean, they got the scoop and score late. So that kind of helped with the scoring, but they were, they were moving the ball. Milrow was making plays. He had a lot of long touchdown throws and uh, they made the stops when needed. And, you know, I, this Bama team, you know, if they figure things out, man, they really have a shot at getting back in the mix. I know they lost to Texas earlier in the year, but it doesn't hurt their SEC championship goals. And if they keep on winning, you know, obviously the LSU game now stares, you know, down the barrel because it's coming up not next week, but the week after, I believe. And so, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the people had had basically thrown dirt on Nick Saban's grave and were just assuming that he was done and that this team wasn't good enough. And they were throwing a lot of praise behind Tennessee because it was like, oh, they were still, you know, five and one or whatever they were coming into this game. And, you know, they they were moving the ball, you know, on the in the run game and the defense was playing strong for Tennessee. But honestly, man, this this Alabama team is now like where we thought they were dead. They have life. And it's like I don't think Georgia is as uh, unbeatable as people thought. And I think they you know. Bama has a chance here to really kind of get on a roll um, they have tough games, like I said, like the LSU game and the Auburn game. And then the, if they do make it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. So we'll see, um, they're going to get tested. Um, but this team as of right now looks pretty stout, especially on defense. And they look to, uh, you know, uh, take advantage of the situation. So what, what are your thoughts, Ian? Yeah, this was like, literally like a two-faced game because it was like one team showed up, the other took took a break, and then the second half, it was completely flipped. Um, Tennessee had this game. They had them. The, yeah. You know, they were getting pressure on Milrow, and that is one thing that you can see. If you get Milrow to, you know, force him to throw it, you're going to end up pretty good. But with Tennessee, they just, for whatever reason – you know, got away from that. They played more zone and Milrow was able to kind of run it more, go through his progression, and they made him comfortable in the pocket. That is the last thing you want to do with these QBs. So Tennessee really, they got bit and bit hard for that. 
Um, but they were up, you know, 20 to seven going into half. And then, you know, Bama gets the ball really quick um, and scores instantly. Um, they only, it, it didn't take one. It was only like two plays in the yeah, it was second two plays, half. Like 70 yard drive, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tennessee, you know, gave up a touchdown. And that was where you could kind of feel Tennessee was playing not to lose instead of win. Which you just can't, against Bama, you're not. That's not how you're going to win. You have to attack. Tennessee was playing very passive. Play calling got very, you know, shallow. wasn't very creative. Um, and their offense relied on you know getting Milton to you know do something uh, with what he had. Um, there wasn't a lot of movement going on um, on the offensive side for Tennessee when the few times they had the ball. And that was the biggest thing too. A part of the reason why Alabama dominated is because they dominated time of possession. Um, yeah. Bama, I know they got outgained bad um, from the first half, and they committed more turnovers, but they really took it to them on time of possession, and they were just playing keep away from Tennessee because they knew Tennessee, you know, sputtering on defense, take advantage of it while you can. And, you know, in the times Tennessee did have it on, you know, offense, they weren't out there for one, and the, ten- the defense couldn't get a break. So this was like a textbook Alabama comeback. Because uh, we've seen this before, where Alabama will maybe go down by a score or two going into the half, and then they just turn on the Jets, and the opposing side is just left scrambling. So this is a you know very good comeback win for Bama. You know, it it, it does you know affirm a lot of the you know belief that you know Alabama's still Bama. Um, although personally for me, I don't know if this is like the former like elite God beaters Bama teams, but they're still very, very good and can win these games still. that This is not passed them by. For Tennessee, on the other hand, this is another game where they just, you know, got in their own way and they're still struggling to find an identity on offense. It is literally just Milton doing whatever he can to make plays. Um, there's, it wasn't like last year where there was like a cohesion. They were able to have the wide receivers um, like Hyatt and uh the QB in, in rhythm. There has been no rhythm for the most part for Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and you see once they get off the, you know, off their game, it's, they really struggle. That is another thing too. When Tennessee is not playing their game, they just can't, you know, adjust to it. It's either, you know, the game plan or if something gets thrown in the way, they just, you know, throw their hands up in the air and then try everything. There's like no backup plan I've seen this year. Best example is against Florida. Defense shut them down the first half, and then you just could see Tennessee sputtering after that. Yeah. I think, like, the a good comparison with this Bama team is, like, the teams from, like, that first playoff iteration in 2014 and, like, 2015. Like, similar – there were there was obviously a lot of talent on those Bama teams, but, like, quarterback-wise, they weren't the strongest. And I think – that really is why this team um, is limited, you know, because those quarterbacks uh, during that era, the 14 and 15 se- seasons, even though they did win, I think they won the championship either in 15 or 16, um, that they they were limited, uh, you know, passing wise, but they were still a strong team to overcome some of that. And I think that this team does that. They're able to overcome their weaknesses. Okay, moving on. Uh, South Carolina, Missouri. Um, you know, this Missouri team keeps winning. And, uh, you know, their defense is very strong. 
where last week South Carolina put up 37, 39 points up against Florida. This week they're only able to put up 12 points on the road against Missouri. Um, it says a lot to Missouri's defense, especially – sorry, because they were able to um, hold uh, Mario Anderson under six, to 68 yards rushing and hold uh, Leggett um, under 50 yards receiving as well. So they definitely um, – you know, their defense is their strong suit. And they struggle in in that LSU game, but most defenses are going to struggle against LSU. But um, they're able to do enough on offense. Uh, Cook had 198 yards. Not a great day, but a good enough day. And then Schrader was really the difference. He had 159 yards on the ground. Um, This Mizzou team is for real. Um, They play a tough schedule to finish off the year. They got. Uh, oh, excuse me. Georgia, you're right. Yeah, I just sneeze. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. Sneeze. All right. Uh, bless you. Uh, thank you. Uh, they play Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida the next couple of games. So, if their season is going to be as good as they want it to be, it's going to be proven in these next three games. Um, you know, it's it's really a round robin now with all these teams because, um, all four of them have legitimate shots at taking over um, the the SEC East, if not just the top uh, spot, but then definitely the second spot as well. So we'll see what, what happens in the next couple of weeks. But what are your thoughts before we move on, Ian? Yeah, for this one, it's, you know, Missouri seems like this is like ironically mirroring kind of what South Carolina did last year or even Tennessee last year. Um, they're just finding ways to win these games, but you're, you, you are right. This is where you're going to see, they're going to have to prove themselves. Um, they got that big win against Kentucky. They, you know, barely lost against LSU. Um, but now their next game after this, you know, going into their bye week now you got to play Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and then at Arkansas, that is a gauntlet and a half, especially at Athens to yeah. kick it off. So it's going to, you know, this is really going to, you know, prove how good they are. Regardless, it is still very impressive to see this Missouri team, you know, very down the last two years to have a very successful year this year. They're automatically going to a bowl game um, and should have a couple more wins in the way. It is a possibility that if they rattle it off and they run the table here, um, likely they'll lose to, you know, South Carolina and or a, Likely they'll lose to Georgia, maybe uh, one other team. But when it comes down to it, there's a possibility of them going into New Year's Six, and that would be very impressive for a team that was really kind of spinning its wheels the last couple of years. Well, I mean, they they would have to – they're not going to beat Georgia. Georgia's going to beat them because right, it's in Athens. And then they have to beat one of two between Florida and Tennessee – I don't see them beating both. I see them losing at least one. And if that's the case, if they go nine and three, they probably won't get a New Year's Six Bowl. But, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, I think Florida got a New Year's Six at nine and three. So, oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's potential. I, I was saying that. I'm not. Oh, I'm yeah. Not yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't. I, I don't see a Missouri team, though, because 
it's one thing a Florida team, a team with like uh, fans that travel, you know, a Missouri team that like no one outside of Missouri cares about, you know, is really tough to sell for these big bowls. Okay, let's move on. I'm going to do this one real quick because it was a, a, a very terrible, low-scoring Big Ten game that I really just love so much. Minnesota wins 12 to 10, beats Iowa. Uh, the only thing I want to talk about was that punt return. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I don't know, man. I really can't tell if he actually signaled it or not. I don't know what they were looking at. I mean, obviously, he's making a hand motion, but it's like he's making a hand motion telling his team not to touch it or something or to like clear out or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't look like he's. Because it's clearly doesn't look like he's going to fair catch it. Like he, yeah, he, he's nowhere near where the ball actually hits when he's when it like it doesn't make any sense. Like logically, there's no like through line here saying that where he's at, he's close to fair catching it. So he puts up a fair catch. He's like moving towards it. It's gonna hit. He's like flailing around. I don't know. I guess. Because if you are making a motion like that, that is the motion to say fair catch and it's a safety thing. And so they want that always as the motion. You can't like fake that. So they just have to go with it. Well, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So with that one, well, it's funny, you know, the whole reason for the whole like waving the hand thing was actually because um, Percy Harvin used to do that. He would just yeah. do like this, but it, you had to do this specifically. Um, but then it got to the point where he would just like do this and they wouldn't call it for a catch. So they were just like, okay, we got to make a rule for this. But I agree. It looked like he was calling them like, you know, telling them to stay away. Yeah. That's um, what I thought. I, I, that's a really, you know, I think it was because he was doing, you know, cause he was doing this and I remember Percy doing that and they, that's what they would call a fair catch. So I don't know if that's, if that is, that's a really like hardcore rule to abide by. But, I mean, here, okay, so here's the thing. They get the fair catch, and the ball is at, like, what, midfield? And you have a minute left, and you can't get to field goal range? <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. I, okay, I get it. Iowa does not have a good offense. In other words, the sky is blue. But, dude, at least, like, so what? They're, they were at, like, what, the 45-yard line, 10, 20? You can't get 20 yards? Like, yeah. really, you can't. I, I, I don't know. So that was the while everybody was freaking out about that. I'm like, well, first of all, how do you lose 12 to 10? Second of all, how do you not get 20 yards to even get into field goal range? Yeah, it, that was the biggest thing. Yeah, that's a really bad call, but still, I'm in my opinion, like Iowa, they got nobody to blame themselves. You had four quarters to score more than 12 points, and they couldn't do it. Speaking of low scoring, are we going to mention uh, Arkansas Mississippi State? Oh, I didn't have it on here, but we should. You know, Arkansas loses seven to three. They ended up firing their offensive coordinator today, Dan Enos. Um, it's very similar. I don't know if you remember, like I think it was Auburn and Mississippi State. It was like three to two or something. Yes, yeah, it's very similar to that. So it's you know, it's uh. It's pathetic football at its best. And I, I guess I can't argue that SEC has more compelling games, but they usually do. 
usually their offense scores more. So it's just this game was obviously very terrible. This this Arkansas team has the wheels have come off and you know the ship is adrift and it's just whatever metaphor you can give, but it's 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 over. And I feel bad for him because it seems like Sam Pittman is a good guy and a, a lot of people like him in the coaching profession and that he is, you know, he had a little bit of momentum there for a year or two and it's could just be this year is all lost. And it's, you know, they're, they might just be willing to like, Hey, let's, let's get into next year, see if there's something different. But considering that, that they had KJ Jefferson and Sanders, coming back they had a lot going forward and are forward for them and they they couldn't take advantage of the situation so it's a really tough schedule i won't deny that but you know i don't know it should have been better they should be they should be at least four and four right now and instead they're like two and six so what what are your thoughts of that and then we'll move on yeah that was the only thing i was going to say was i thought that was a big 10 game um Yeah. yeah watching that one but i was like god and I'm thinking because they had, you know, God bless KJ Jefferson. Like he's literally yeah. like a Ferrari in a trailer park right now. Like <laughs> you, he's so much better than that. And I feel so bad, but I mean, golly, that's, you got really four points. You can't, you can't score one touchdown. Terrible. Okay. Moving on to an interesting game, a very interesting game. This was, uh, you know, Houston had the ball at the end to try to tie it, but, um, Texas wins 31, 24, Texas had a lead of 21, seven, and then Houston storms back. Um, then Texas, uh, they were matching scores and then Texas, uh, comes back, takes the lead late and Quinn Ewers went out. I don't know. I, I didn't get an actual, uh, uh, I didn't figure out what happened with Ewers, why he went out, but he was held out near the end. They ended up scoring that late touchdown to put them ahead. But what did you hear about Ewers, why he got hurt? Uh, there was something with his shoulder. Um, okay, right. That's what I heard is there was something bugging his like right shoulder, and apparently he tried to um, throw in it, but they weren't going to risk it. Um, and, I, and that goes into next week. They don't know because he was in a sling for the rest of the game. So they don't oh, know if they're yeah. going to have them for next week. Apparently the injury isn't severe, but they're, it doesn't look like they're going to want to, you know, aggravate it potentially. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny in this game, they almost got bit by it because if, you know, Houston had the ball with like a minute left and it was fourth down and they only needed a yard and they had some, you know, I don't know. Their play call was kind of interesting. I, I would have thought they would just run the ball or even do like the, the uh, brotherly shove, but they, yeah. they didn't do it. And they had some passing play. And it was funny. Cause it was like, I was watching uh, Dana, Dana Holgerson on the sideline, like get all pissed at the end. I'm like, dude, you were the one that called that play. Like you should have <laughs> yeah. known that probably wasn't going to work. And, you know, I don't know. It's, Houston is definitely, you know, they beat who they beat West Virginia at that last second. And they had mm-hmm. a chance against Texas and Texas is obviously a very good team. So it's, 
you have Cincinnati doing bad in the Big 12, UCF not winning games. So it's like all these teams that came in have not BYU. Recruited. Well, how has BYU done? I haven't even seen how they've done. I don't think they've done, you know, definitely not like otherworldly, but well, I, BYU I, is two and two. I'm looking at it right now. BYU is two and two. So obviously they're not terrible. Yeah, um, I know they beat Tech, uh, Texas Tech. Yeah, and that's that's in that's a layup. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, take that for what you will, man. Yeah, but no, I mean, it was an interesting game, and they 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 put them on the ropes, and it's just funny that both Texas and uh, Oklahoma come off game the game against each other, and then the next week that they play, they play a game where um, they play newcomers to the Big Twelve, and they almost lose. To both of them so interesting game your, your thoughts before we move on yeah just texas they, they got caught late in in the second half you can again there's one of those cases where you have to play the full game because houston outgained them um i'm yeah. I'm pretty sure they almost had 400 yards and again defensively texas did good in the first half but you they kind of just you know went off the gas towards the end but they got that late touchdown um from cj baxter um and I don't know how much of it was, you know, the offense kind of, you know, sputtering was because Quinn Ewers was out or because Houston kind of had them, you know, figured out. Um, but all in all, I mean, Texas pulled out and I got pretty freaking lucky too. Um, again, another case, you just can't play these games against teams that are better, that will be better. Houston, you know, comparing the two, Texas on paper is better. Yeah. But you have to play better too. That was, That is really the biggest thing that I – I can take from this weekend. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next game, the upset of the week, Virginia one in five beats no undefeated North Carolina 31, 27. Uh, Drake may has 347 yards, two TDs, but an interception and then, um, musket for Virginia, uh, a paltry 208 yards, but, they made the plays when needed, and, you know, I didn't see the highlights on this one. I just put it up because it's we didn't even have this game selected as one of the games because I totally thought North Carolina was going to trounce them. Um, just surprising that North Carolina loses this game. What are your thoughts, Ian? And this is what it came down to because I was watching this game. Yeah. This was the biggest thing. Yeah, North Carolina, um, they got down pretty early against um, – Virginia Tech, but then they got up by 10 points going into late into the third, fourth quarter. North Carolina throughout this game, they played better. They gained more yards. And yeah, Virginia had more big plays, but North Carolina was more consistent because Virginia gave up like two turnovers, I think. I think I looked at it. It was Virginia had almost 37 minutes of possession time. So as soon as Virginia scored, there was not enough time left for North Carolina to respond. And that was shown when they scored against – when they took the lead, uh, when Musket threw the touchdown pass, they went down the field in 70 yards. And there were eight minutes left, but North Carolina just couldn't, you know, capitalize on, you know, their possessions while Virginia did. That was the biggest thing. Virginia didn't have a lot of possessions, but, man, they made it count when they knew – um, they had the chance, and you know, they just kept eating that clock away to the point where Drake May had to force a pass that got picked, and then it was all game over. But yeah, that was 
you know, bit surprising. I did. I, I remember early in the year, I did say, I'm not the biggest, you know, believer in North Carolina um, because they have been shaky at times. I still didn't feel like they played a complete game against a good team. But man, I mean, I mean beat, like I wasn't beat, expecting this. They beat Miami pretty, pretty thoroughly. Um, but so I Georgia know. Tech. <laughs> oh, I know. By, by that's, that's where, but but then Miami just beat Clemson too, and we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's. Um, I don't know what to say. It's it is it's the ACC. I mean, they're not the teams Once there. Again, they are have one not good as team. Good. <laughs> it, it seems like it's like the thing in you know again showing kind of nerd here the the whole thing in Star Wars. It was like you know there's the rule of two, yeah. but it, for the Sith, it's like the ACC. There's the rule of one. You can only have one good, like really good team, and then everybody else has to be garbage. Yeah, well, I still don't even think that team at the top is as good as everyone thinks. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Ole Miss Auburn. Uh Ole Miss wins 28-21. Uh Auburn gets a late garbage time touchdown to make it closer than it looked. Um, but Ole Miss was in control of this game. They were up 14-0 at one point, and then Auburn came back, tied it. But Auburn just was not good enough. I mean, they're I mean, they're only putting up like a hundred yards of passing yardage in games. So they're like, they're, I don't know what it is. This team is, they're very limited. They don't have, I don't know. They just doesn't seem like they have many options. They have to run the ball a lot and they do run the ball effectively, but I don't know when it comes into these games where there's shootouts, they're not able to throw the ball and uh, you know, Ole Miss does enough on defense um to stop them and i don't know it's just old miss is one of these teams now where it's like they only have one loss and that one loss was to uh alabama was, so it's like yeah they still have a ton to play for they could get into a new year's six game because they may not get into the sec championship game but they may play their way into a new year's six game and potentially a playoff game i mean if they went out they have they would have all right being a one-loss SEC team uh, to get into the the playoff, but I don't know if that's going to happen. They have still some tough games. They've got AM and they've got um, who else? They've got. I guess really it's only A and M because they've already played Alabama and LSU. Yeah, you know, they, there's there there's a there's no. I know they played Georgia. Why. Oh, that's right. I knew they had one tough one. Yeah, they and Mississippi Jordan. State. You can never, you never know which way that. Yeah, you know, that's true. I mean, I guess there are some tough ones, but still, they have a really good shot at it. They have that that one against Georgia is going to be their tough one because I I forgot about that one. But yeah, Georgia is definitely a a, a huge uh, uh, roadblock from them uh, finishing off their year. I and I'm surprised because you know that usually they put like uh, SEC West, SEC East games earlier in the year i'm surprised that you don't see him this late yeah i'm surprised as it's, at least it's normally late. back then you used to yeah because it's it's not even it's like one of the last games of the year and so yeah yeah and like dude georgia has a really tough schedule for the rest of the year they have florida missouri tennessee ole miss and georgia tech that's five really tough games and tech is a lot better than people give them credit for um, but um, your thoughts before we move on to these last couple ones? 
Yeah, um, just all in out, Ole Miss, they, you know, got it together in the second half. You could tell they were the better team. They had the more talent. They had the better play calling. It just came down to Auburn just does not have the firepower to keep up with Ole Miss yeah. right now. Um, it's just, it's, again, it's just a symptom of a first-year team that had the cover left barren for them. Um, but Ole Miss just dominated them offensively, and they did enough on defense to get the win. Yeah, for sure. Okay, real quick, we're going to do this one, then we're going to move on. I don't have it listed, but Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan wins 49-0, and it's, again, winning against a terrible team. So I don't know why this Michigan team gets as much credit as they do because they have not played anyone yet, but they still have at least two games against good teams, and it's Penn State and Ohio State. And they should be Penn State relatively easy, but they'll get – uh, matchup against Ohio State. Real quick, your thoughts, and we'll move on. I mean, is anybody surprised? I mean, we, we knew yeah. Michigan was going to run away with this. Shutout was just kind of icing on the cake, but we kind of figured, yeah, if there was any game for Michigan to pull a shutout, it was this one. Okay. All right. So I came into this game, the Duke-Florida State game, and I was like, okay, Riley Leonard's probably not going to play. I'm just going to – barely watch this, whatever. And then he freaking plays. And I was like, yeah. so excited. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's going to play. And like, he's playing, they're getting fourth down stops. They're like, you know, uh, Duke is moving the ball. They're scoring. They were up 17, seven at one point. They were up another 10 points at one point. They had like a pick six for a touchdown. And then they, you know, they gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown, which it sucked, but whatever. They were still in the lead, and they had a shot at going up another 10 points, and they're driving, and they're they they uh, uh, Riley Leonard goes back on uh, a pass, and the Florida State player twists his helmet off, literally mm -hmm. rips off his head like a barbarian, and then um, because – Leonard was trying to avoid it, avoid the contact. He like awkwardly lands on his ankle and twists it again. And so they take him out and then they don't score any points on that drive. And that game was basically over at that point. It was over. It wasn't even basically, it was over. And so like, I know Florida state, you won by 18 points and you think, Oh yeah, we were the better team, but Duke was the better team throughout that game with Riley Leonard in. And if he stays in that game, I think they win that game. And it's a shame just for me as a viewer of college football, that Florida state was so fortunate in that. And they didn't have to face Riley Leonard for the entire game. And it's, I know you can say the stats, whatever. I don't really care. You know, that guy, the backup, he's not good at all. He doesn't know how to run the offense. Leonard even hurt knows how to run the offense and to put them in position and what checkdowns and whatever to do to get them in position, you know, the, the shift the line over anything. He does that very well. And obviously that backup doesn't know what he's doing. And it was completely different from once he goes in because yes, Florida state started scoring, but it was because Duke couldn't hold on to the ball. And that was largely the reason why Florida state was struggling was because Duke was moving the ball quite well on them and keeping the ball away from Florida State. From the point on when Riley Leonard goes out, it was completely different, and it's a shame as college football viewers that we did not get to see that because 
it would have been such a huge win for Duke. And it's a shame that we didn't get to see that. Yeah, for I, I agree for me um, that once Riley Leonard was out, it was a, just a different type of game. With that being said, though, I've had the same feeling with this game as I did with like the Tennessee Alabama game. I just once Tennessee, you know, Florida State returned that kick, um, and they made it within, you know, they tied it. I could kind of tell, you know, it was like going down a grease pole. It's just Duke did not have enough in the tank to win the game. They had enough to win the first half, but they didn't have enough to win the second half. Florida State did. Um, Florida State had the talent to afford a really bad start, but this is, again, what I'm going to say. You can't afford that when you go to these championship games and face these better teams. So I do agree. Florida State got very, very lucky because they were outplayed big time throughout most of that game. Um, once it, Riley Leonard's out and once it got to the fourth quarter where you could tell this game is in Florida State's control, then they started piling up the numbers. But I agree. Florida State definitely – score doesn't dictate how the game actually played. But they got very lucky. But once they scored that touchdown in the second half, you could tell there just wasn't enough for Duke to stay in the game. Yeah, I mean, that their, their backup is clearly nowhere near to the level as Riley Leonard. And, you know, I mean, granted, Florida State is a good team. I'm not denying that. I'm just – I'm just – I guess I'm – remarking about how fortunate they've been in these bigger games that they've played in the LSU game. LSU all year has scored like very well on teams for whatever reason, LSU moved the ball up and down on Florida state, but then couldn't convert uh, scores in that game. Then in the game against Clemson, Clemson is winning this game and should end up winning this game, winning that game. But then uh, Klubnik gets sacked for a fumble that gets returned for a touchdown. Florida State does nothing in that second half on offense to really deserve to be in that game. And then in this game, clearly Duke is the better team. And then uh, Riley Leonard goes out. And that was the difference. It was a clear difference. There was no other, like, from that point on, Duke didn't score a single point. Didn't have, like, they, uh, let's see, they went punt down uh uh turnover on downs oh that no turnover on downs a second riley leonard goes out punt turnover on downs and then end of game so clearly it was a difference before that riley leonard had them moving all over the field was it just man it's just it's frustrating as a college football fan to see that happen it's just much like what happened last year with uh um, Georgia against Ohio State with Marvin Harrison getting knocked out. And then the year before with Jameson Williams hurting his knee against Georgia as well. So Florida State wins, continues their season. Um, I really still think that Florida has a shot against them because the Florida game is at home. Um, you know, it's obviously a couple weeks away, so we're not going to talk about that yet. But I still think that Florida can uh, disrupt their season. Your thoughts last on this before we move on to the last two of them. Uh, I, for, for at the very least, you know, Florida State, again, they ha they know what they can do to win these games because um, they have the talent to afford getting down against these teams. But, it, it, again, you just can't afford that when you play these better teams 
um, that they will, you know, once they go to the ACC championship and how very likely go to the playoff, they just can't sweep on these games. Okay. Uh, last two Arizona state, man, very much stymied Washington. Washington wins 15, seven, but this game was much closer. Even in that last, the, the final score, it was a very close game. This was, I thought, I thought Washington was going to lose this. It wasn't until a pick six that um, that really changed the fortunes for Washington. But just remarkable effort by Arizona State. You know, their quarterback is making plays. And what's his face? Scadaboo. I mean, Scadaboo mm-hmm. is like the the ultimate uh, jackknife. He he just he he can do everything. And you know, he was punting. You know, he does. He literally does everything out there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, for this one, I felt this was more of Washington just having a really, really bad game. They were – this is probably the worst game they have had all year. They only put up 200-something yards. They had over four turnovers, and they were dominated in the time of possession. And also, they got very lucky because that clearly should have been a pass interference call. Um, That was not called. Yeah, on that one before. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so they got lucky on that one. But regardless of that – Arizona State, you know, same thing. They, this is just a matter of firepower when you get down to this. Arizona State outplayed Washington. I'm not making any mistake about that. Washington got outplayed bad, but they were bailed out on high-end talent because Washington had, you know, you know, Michael Penix. They had, you know, Nixon. They had all these guys to, you know, make these plays. Um, But, you know, you just can't – you're okay with it against Arizona State. You just shouldn't do this when you're playing, like, Oregon this coming week. But for, you know, Washington, again, this is a huge letdown game, and they need to take a deep look in the mirror offensively because it seems like they were just, you know, going to walk into this. So I don't know. We predicted a blowout, and I guess they did too. It just felt like this game would – you know, the win would land in their laps. Yeah, I'm looking at their rushing totals. They had 13 carries – for 13 yards, and that was predominantly yeah. because of uh, two people. <laughs> I'm like, God, that's crazy. Uh, okay, last one we'll talk about before we go. Miami-Clemson. Miami wins 28-20 in overtime. Um, Clemson season's pretty much done now, so uh, they don't have really anything to play for. Um, Miami, you know, I don't know what to make of this team. They lose to Georgia Tech. They lose to North Carolina last week. Now they beat Clemson. Uh, they have an outside chance of getting to the ACC championship game. It's going to be very outside, um, but there is a chance they could get there. I know they play North Carolina, or they already played North Carolina, sorry. Uh, they play Virginia and NC State. They also play Louisville, so they do have a chance. You know, they're. I don't think they're going to beat Florida State. It's in Tallahassee. No. But they could. They easily could. But they got smoked last year. Mm. Last year it wasn't even close. Um, but your thoughts from this, and then we'll 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 wrap it up. The only so I'm gonna make it quick. If you ever need a game that emphasizes that a team is not elite anymore, this is it. Clemson years before layup game. Yeah. Miami. Just, just let's just take the fact that you know Van Dyke is out. You know it, it does play. Yeah. Paper to paper, Clemson should win this. 
more, you know, more experience, more experienced, more talented. Klubnik, Shipley, defense has been there before. Clemson should at least, you know, edge out. But holy crap, like there were so many times Clemson had the game won, but they just got in their own way. Three turnovers is unacceptable. But again, it's also adding the fact that at, at the end of this, that Trevor Van Dyke is out. He, yeah. He, he was out most of the game and they still lost in overtime. I just, it, I don't know. Like, this is as clear a signal that this team needs to go into a deep sort of rebuild because I, I, I'm not saying like fire, you know, Dabo Sweeney or all that, but they need to take, seriously take a long look in the mirror and how this team is constructed because the way they're, you know, what worked in 2017 is not working in 2023. There is no way, regardless, Clemson should have lost this game. All respect to Miami. They played, you know, a great game, and they were able to rise up to the occasion. But, man, this is really is on Clemson. They had this game won. They should have won this game. And, again, once again, it, besides the Duke game, they just are now having trouble getting the necessary points to win games now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're struggling almost every game they play. I know they barely beat Wake Forest either last week or the week before, and it was like 17 to 12. And it's like, they just, it's a real struggle bus for them right now. And like you said, it might be the end of the era, but, you know, Dabo's probably not going anywhere. He won two championships. Like there's, I think there's like, what is it? It's Dabo, Saban, uh, Kirby Smart, and Jimbo Fisher, and Mac Brown, I think of the only coaches with uh, national titles that are coaching right now. So, you know, you, he's not going anywhere with two titles. He has a long leash. Like he, he could be really bad for the next couple of years and they, they still be there. So I, I, you know, I like the offensive coordinator that they have. He did really well with TCU. It's, uh, I believe it's, um, what is it? Lincoln Riley's brother. And yeah. um, so it's just not working this year, but maybe next year. I mean, they, again, I think receiving wise, they don't have like the stud Other receivers than, yeah. that they've had in years past. So that's a big difference. Um, they were offensive line wise. They were struggling with protection. They, you know, it seemed like Klubnik was constantly being pressured um, and getting sacked. So they've got to make something there. So we'll see. I mean, it's it's obviously not going anywhere this year, but maybe they can turn things around next year. And uh, who knows? And I don't know what's going to happen with the ACC, but that's a whole nother discussion for another day. Okay, that's the show, everybody. Um you can reach us at haterradio.com. I put up an article about Kirby Smart and his luck uh, with uh, the rivals that he's gone up against the last couple of years. And considering that um, uh, they were all bad for many years, and now it seems to be a little bit of an upswing for the head coaches that are now uh, controlling those programs. So maybe his luck has run out. Who knows? We'll see. I mean, Josh Heupel just lost to Alabama here. The other day, yeah. so maybe not. Who knows? But anyways, uh, reach us there, haterradio.com. You can reach us at all of our socials except for um, Facebook and YouTube. We are at 
at hater at hater underscore radio for uh, uh, Twitter uh, threads and Instagram. And then for um, Facebook, it is hater radio CFB for uh, YouTube. It is at hater radio and also hater radio one at gmail.com for email. Ian, what are your socials before we go? Yep. Uh, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at G get G. Yeah. So like, and subscribe, comment, get us in the, in the algorithm going, um, follow Ian, follow us on all those socials and, uh, enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you Wednesday. All right. Take care.